Take three. Today's episode of the Super Empty Show, NC's Essential Hip Hop Podcast, is not brought to you by anyone, but that might be changing in the next few weeks. We might have a sponsor coming on, so look out for that. It'll be a big moment in RPN and Super Empty Show history. But on the website this week, we have a Spotify playlist that we're promoting. You should check it out, Best of the Carolinas playlist. It ranges from big artists, stuff from the new J. Cole album, all the way to things that you might not have heard from Durham, Greensboro, Raleigh, all around. So check that out. We have a post called uh, The Catch-Up. That is myself, Alex Yanez, who co-hosts this show, our friend Jimmy Branley, who's called in a few times, uh, reviewing a few EPs that came out, an album, um, a new song by Danny Blaze, all kinds of stuff on there. Uh, but today on the show, we're going to be talking with Salim Reshamwala. He uh, has worked at the New York Times, did a little stint up there for 11 weeks. He did a video for North CAC that you might have heard of before. Uh, pretty good video, I'd have to say. Award-winning. Award-winning at the uh, Hip Hop Film Festival in Brooklyn. And he's done a lot of incredible work around uh, the triangle with a lot of at rappers and actor, uh, sorry, artists in the triangle scene for many, many years. So we we're grateful to have him. We talked to him as well as videographer Mandy Paget from The Rundown, from your show, about the new Childish Gambino video as well. Um, the different motives that he had going into that video as well as how he actually, how Hero Mirai shot it. So yeah, good episode. It's a long one. We went really long with Salim, so we're probably going to cut it early for the iTunes listeners and uh, maybe put up an extended version it's on SoundCloud. It's dense though. It's well worth the... Uh the listen. I got so much out of it. I've really enjoyed. We used to share an office together, Sleem and I. So mm-hmm. that guy is, um, yeah, he's always got something wise to say. Yeah, just pulling these things out of his hat. I mean, like he has. I want to get my my quote game up because he just knows. He'll be like, it's that. It's like that thing that that uh, jazz, that jazz player said in the seventies. I believe it went like, I don't have those quotes, and it makes me feel like I'm spending too much time reading Kanye tweets. You could quote those. I think I did multiple to, times. And at one point really he was profound. like, yeah, at one point he was like, yeah, I'm not up on the Kanye stuff. And I felt really dumb. But anyways, that's our plan for episode 17. Enjoy. All right, we've got our panel together. We've got videographers, Mandy and Salim with us, Justin as well. We don't have Alex, but we miss him as well as Holland. And uh, we have got to talk about this video, the Childish Gambino video that just came out. I want to hear everybody's impressions, of course. Um, I'll just kick it off with mine and then and then get out of the way for a little bit. Um, but what stood out to me the most was the, the how meta it was. Just the way yeah. it was this like take on meme culture and and uh the things we get caught up in rather than what matters and then it was in the form of a video that then i'm sitting around watching and sharing around to people and it became its own little gif package and uh yeah i hadn't felt like guilty watching a video like that in so long maybe i just i don't also know flesh that out. what do you mean guilty like i felt directly addressed hmm. i felt as if i was part of the problem, but not just in a like a, a way of like a white guilt, like oh black, bad things happen to black people in the video, so I feel bad. But in the video, we're watching people like avoid chaos all around them. Yeah. And then I'm myself watching a music video rather than engaging with all those topics. Yeah. And I hadn't really seen someone address that in a video like that. Yeah, I'll say one of the things that got me was the structure, and you know. Um, Fonte was writing this morning about a, a track oh. on his album. 
and he he wrote that um, the best writing advice he'd ever seen was from Gary Trudeau of Doonesbury. It was about you know <laughs> guy who writes comics, but the best advice he'd ever seen was um, if you talk about Vietnam on a Monday, then you better be- talk about basketball on a Tuesday. Huh. That is to say, like if you talk in the context of the times, if you talk about the Vietnam War one day, you got to take it down a notch and do something light the next day. Yeah, and the video starts out. And you're just kind of with it. You're in this this almost it's almost wholesome right, right. at the jump, and then it just it takes everything away. And it reminds me of when I'm not gonna say the name of a movie because uh, I don't want to spoil it for anything anybody. But uh, <laughs> when a movie takes a star level character and kills him in the first five minutes, your initial thought is like, "Whoa, this director will do anything." You know, like we're about yeah. to get on a ride. And so right from the jump, <laughs> you're on a ride with this. And it's like, hero Murai, I mean, like just crushing it again, just just right from the jump. And he sets the bar very high. Like the 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 moment the this guy sits down on a chair, he gets replaced. And then your main protagonist, I mean, you talk about a conflicted protagonist, shoots the dude. Right. Right. And that that's amazing to me. And that that's part of what makes this this like have depth to me is that it's it's allows it, you, you're going to feel ambiguous about so many things that are happening right from the jump. Mm-hmm. But then he, he sets that up and like a lot of people would be like, like how you follow that. And then he just takes you on that roller coaster. He gives you the Vietnam war. Then he gives you basketball and he gives you the Vietnam war. Then he gives you basketball. You know, he is so good at capturing and it happens throughout the video, especially the, f- the facial expression he's making at the end when he's running through the tunnel um, but he's like so good at this manic facial expression that is like soul piercing the way he's looking at you as he's and there's and there's a shot too when he's dancing he's walking there's a there's a skylight that's like casting this this uh, flood of light down into the ground he's walking on and it's just when the kids come out behind him for the first time and like the way it hits his eyes like they're just there's no iris in there it's just white and it just looks so I don't I don't like know how to describe it it, it felt almost inhuman in a way like he was possessed it felt a little bit like possessive sort of possessed i don't know how to say that <laughs> yeah it's hard to talk about this video without uh, you know bringing up get out right um yes. i think you know some of the imagery is and, and not at all in any in a way stealing from it but like in a way that's you can't i mean you can't make this kind of video and not be referencing get out in 2018 right um and there, there are some of those elements like just the the way the holds on the camera like the wide-eyed looks at camera the, the kind of fear i mean obviously the ending scene where he's running away right really calls get out to mind in a way you know um and it could just be that both of those things are so strong in the air right now it could be that he's he's you know knowingly winking mm. at that stuff a little bit um a little bit different than kanye's reference to yeah. get out yeah <laughs> and there were like a ton of lines drawn between this and i didn't know how to feel about you know there was a lot of immediate references to kanye west um because of the week and i even saw something that uh i think it was kamal bell was saying um you know, we really started off this week kind of rough and we're closing it with Donald Glover as three of the top four trending topics. And he didn't have to support Trump or, you know, uh, tweet a, his two hour interview with Charlemagne to do it or whatever he said. And um, yeah, I, I just like I couldn't I didn't know where to stand on that discussion of of if that was unfair to bring up somebody else and quote unquote put pit people against each other or if that mm-hmm. was a fair discussion for us to be having as, as a pop cult as people who pay attention to pop culture. I think the there's whole something, Kanye thing. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I mean, it's hard to, you know, mid-May 2018 not reference the Kanye tweets <laughs> as the Gambino skit on Saturday Night Live. Right, itself it. You know, he, it's at, to get super meta with it. Um, but 
there is something there on just the like the fact that this video though it's very timely you could drop it at many different points in time and it would still be yeah. insanely powerful and so 2016 florida yes 100 like, wait am i mixing it up no 20 2014, sorry. Yeah, yeah, the pro the, 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 <laughs> the crazy thing is you're probably right either way. Right. You know, like, the the this video could have been dropped at many different times. I mean, the fact that we could probably find something to be terrified about in 2014 Florida, 2016 Florida, it, it's like you can't screw up. There's mm. enough shootings at, at, at this point, right? Yeah. And some of that relates to the fact that, like, I mean, you might just say that this is this is just, it's, it's I don't, don't want to say better art, but it's, it's the purer the art is, right? There's that thing about that, you know, Jay-Z recently said about like, you know, he wants to be like Picasso, right? Like it was post Picasso, maybe there's like a different kind of Picasso reference, but that like <laughs> the thing that just, that, that just stays around and is still dope, you know, 20 years from now, art right? That like gains value over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like stock versus flow. Like that stock that's going to sit there and be good in 10 years as opposed to like the flow of the minute. And this, this feels like, like, you know, it's, we're, in, we're in strong stock territory. There's a quote about art that I love um, from the, the writer George Saunders. He says, you know, great art, the key element is it's a black box. And when you get in that box, sorry, when you get out of that box, you should be different than when you stepped in. And that's what matters. That when you, the, the piece of art, the artwork is a box, you go into it. And then when you come out of it, what matters is that something in you has changed. And I, I think like you can't, we just watched that video together, all of us in this room. And at the end of it, when it went black, there was a pause again. Like we all were having no, a moment. I didn't want to talk first. I, nobody <laughs> wanted to break that. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's super dope. It means it's like kind of casting a spell, you know? It's funny because the box you literally brought up and we, I need to get Mandy's thoughts too, but, but, uh, you just, uh, showed us the literal box. Cause we went back and watched the freaks and geeks video. And how he had been in a, you know, literal box in a warehouse for that shoot. And then I don't know how many years later, eight years later, he's doing this video. And it's you can watch just the maturation between the two. Yeah, no, not to continue to harp on the Kanye thing, but it, I think it just shows how much I'm, we've talked about it. It's been talked about online, how I feel disconnected Kanye is as an individual in society almost now. And it's like Donald Glover is still out there fighting and connected and trying to bring issues to light and Kanye only cares about himself which is funny because the piece we all talked about on slack when it came out in New Yorker the one of the biggest things that stood out was how aloof and standoffish of a person he seems to be yeah like yeah. if I wasn't comparing him to Kanye West and I was yeah. comparing him to most people yeah he doesn't seem friendly at all and he would seem very disconnected in a lot of ways yeah. i think his backstory his life story all these kinds of things he would seem like he's not as connected to the black community <laughs> as you know some other artists out there but in fact he is conscious and he is aware and whether or not his persona is saying that is a different different story but his art is backing up a message that needs to be heard yeah and that's a critique too is that that, that a lot of these things are coming from especially if you read that piece a place of like myth building of himself that this is all part of just a, a huge ego trip and how much you appreciate maybe this kind of art can you separate it from maybe like whatever motivations he has and just see it as like this incredible thing that meant a lot to you and it really doesn't mean anything to you in his career arc because a lot of people obviously myself included i think subconsciously tie it to his career arc and it that partially excites us as well i don't know if i can fully remove it from who he is. Yeah, and this, this gets to an interesting thing, which is that, like, I don't know anything about Kanye West. I've never talked to the man. I don't know anything about Childish Gambino. I've never talked to the man. All but we, you, read the, I I know, you read the New Yorker piece, no? I have read you the New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've totally. I, so, 
this is just to say that we're removed by certain levels of artifice, right? Mm -hmm. So with the Kanye tweets, that's a man's behavior on Twitter. And I mean, now we have other videos and things like that. And it's, it's, it's kind of amazing that we're actually like in the skit about how you can't stop talking about <laughs> Kanye right yeah. now. The stakes but are a little lower. The thankfully. stakes are much lower. <laughs> so, and with, with Childish Gambino, you know, in whichever alter ego we're in, that was a piece written by a writer who's having a mediated experience, you know, and, and, and has several reasons why he might have a removed experience from it. So it's, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this. this the fourth uh, wall breaks in that piece too, I think, where he talks about how he's like a white writer and he directly addressed, Donald Glover addresses him as a white writer. But yeah. And, sorry, and, and actually, I think that's super important to the, like, it's, it's just one of the many forms of mediation in between us and the artist and, and trying to know what they, they do and don't intend and, and where they are or aren't in life. It's, it's very hard to know. But what I love about some of these pieces is, um, you know, I love when a piece just really exists outside of that continuum where you don't, where perhaps the knowledge of the artist enhances it, but, um, you don't need it. So, you know, I'll give you an example. I just watched the video a couple hours ago with my wife who is from Japan and has not been in America very long. Mm -hmm. She watched the entire video and I'd, I'd, I'd prepped her because like, you know, we, we, you know, guns are, are a very American thing and it's like yeah. a very intense video and it, when it ended her her reaction was very matter of fact like she was like oh yeah that's America like she almost said those exact words like it just felt like a very almost factual depiction of the issues America is facing yeah. and it, it made me think about this thing where often people of color in America have an almost foreign perspective on the main mainstream no, yeah. I mean, just to continue on that thing, I think that's part of... Pass the mic. Sorry, we're passing the mic back and forth. But no, I I think that's why this music video is so great is there's so many layers and you see that, you see that, like, I mean, I'm referencing what I've heard from other people and what I've read, but Black Joy and Black Dancing and, and that's the forefront, but in the background, you've got all of this shit happening and people running for their did lives. Did you catch the white things. horse? Yes, the you white did? horse. I I'll be honest, I did not. Until I, I read later, and it was like, you probably <laughs> missed that there was a horse ran through the shot. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I actually did. Yeah. I was watching people dancing. No, I missed, yeah, exactly. I missed it the first time. I missed a lot of things. I missed the scatter. I missed people running. Like, I missed so many things when you first, the first time you watch it. And, like, that's the great thing about the video. And, in fact, I think that is the American experience, is that everyone in America has, like, the American dream. You're just going to keep forward. And all of the shit that happens to you in life, especially, I think, people of color in America um, and the black experience, which I can't speak to myself, but I think we now know as a topic or whatever else um, is that you just carry on. Like you just, you, you do what you do and this is your experience. And I think the video shows that really well is that you can cover it up, but all this stuff is happening in the background and people just don't want to acknowledge it. They just want to see the dancing and they want to see the rap stars and they want to see whatever mm -hmm. else. Yeah. I thought the most chilling moment of the whole thing, honestly, that obviously there's the murders that are, get the headlines and, and are the most shocking visual thing. But to me, one of the most chilling scenes is when, um, there's the, like a fire behind them and there's the police cars and people are running around and he's dancing. He's saying, I'm so pretty. Yeah. And it's just like all about him. He's so self-absorbed. Um, and in just indulgent in what he's doing and it's just like holy shit that this is because that's what's so good about art is where you can take this is you're creating a fictional scene in this warehouse but you can take you can uh, amplify things by showing like total chaos like three feet in front of him which is obviously not how it exists for us in real life for most of us um, but it just like exaggerates it how did you guys you guys have both worked on one take video so I wanted to ask you about I know it wasn't one take probably this, or, there's at least a few different cuts sure. that are very clear but um, how it felt 
how that one take style felt throughout this whole thing. So what I love about the one take in this particular video is it implies a world beyond the rotation of the camera, right? So as the camera is kind of swinging around and you see the chaos coming in and out, you know they're not cutting one scene in front of you, right? So you know that all these other things that are about to come across the screen are all somewhere off screen. Does that make sense? So in physical space, you know that that's how it's filmed and it starts messing with your fictional interpretation of the world. Like I, I think it actually, that, that swinging the camera around in such a crowded area makes you feel like the entire world exists in real life. It just makes it feel both immediate because it's a long one take and you, you're, you're like watching this guy, like, like, like all this amazing choreography going on, but you kind of forget all that and feel the world because it's somewhere behind you. You know, it's like, it's like there's you a, think you're like wondering what's going to come next. From yeah. You're wondering side. what's going to come next. And you know, when you're rotating around that you're in this space that's populated with real characters. And I, I think it adds to it that you know that there's actual real action happening off screen and I, it helps you forget it in, it's interesting. People talk about like 360 cameras, um, and limiting like, it is what is beautiful, right? That's what I'm saying. It's exactly it's exactly like it's the monster you can't see, and that's what's terrifying. Like from the, the SNL all skin. around, yeah, <laughs> from the back <laughs> of the SNL skin. No, I was curious, Slim. Like, do you think you think that because you know what it's like to make movies, and I don't know if like Ryan, if you're watching that video, if you're subconsciously maybe you're thinking about all the background action, but that we know what it's like and what it's like on a set and what happens behind the scenes and what you need to do and what they had to do to make that video happen. So like I was watching it and thinking, God, that's a lot of extras and how do they time that? And <laughs> right. how many times did they have to run through that to make sure everything was on point? I wonder what you percentage know? of people watching it have those thoughts. Because I'm that's, like, oh, that's what I'm I was going to ask you is how many takes you thought this was. Like how yeah. many times because I was thinking about just the way he has to nail his moves because mm -hmm. there's so many things happening and he has to there's one part where you can tell he looks back at the kids to make sure they're all on. You know, because like he checks yeah. that they're all in the same motion. But I mean, it just felt like a lot of pressure. I guess that probably means nothing to somebody who does like stand up and does SNL and all this stuff. But to me, I was like, oh, my God, if he messes up, they have to redo like the car and the horse and everything has to get put back. Yeah, I think this kind of gets back to what we were talking about, about the Freaks and Geeks video is he's a guy who can carry a one take video, you know, right. and obviously there's a lot of other things that have to happen. Right. But when the, there is a huge advantage in that the background is blurred in this video, I mean, that is an aesthetic oh, out choice. Of focus, yeah. Yeah. It's, right. it's out of focus. It's, um, you know, a very tight focus on just him and the, the dancers around him through most of it. Um, that's an advantage because you can have a, like something could slip up 20 meters away. No one's going to notice it. Like mm. you see when people get a little closer, people running with, they're carrying hammers. Like you catch all these little things, but in the distance there could be slip ups. It works aesthetically yeah, as yeah. well. You know, it's not just a, a, a license to make mistakes, but they took the easy route. Is what you're <laughs> they were playing it safe. Yes, for sure. exactly. <laughs> On record, utmost insane respect to everybody involved in this video. I don't want anybody uh, ever saying that Slim Rushmore said that this is America took the easy. No, route. you respect it. You're on record. But the most, and I thought that the most, um, like cutting take to this cutting. To, I don't know how to talk, but the the most like uh, critical thing I saw was coming from, I believe. A, a, a black person on Twitter, a queer person who was saying that this is a just part of a long history of stuff that's done by black male artists, black straight male artists, mm. um, often seeking this like genius moniker, this genius title and mm. trying to be so thought provoking and using violence in a cheap way. And re really um, the thing that stu stuck with me was saying that 
recreations or remixes of lynchings are enabling or like empowering of the lynchers and that it normalizes it and it is like a thing that um, further gives them power by just showing the same violence again and again upon the people that it has been imposed upon in the first place you know and so obviously like i can only lend so much of my voice to that discussion but i I thought if there's one kind of video to do this in this was a video that called for it because it was one of the few times where it's actually like kind of staring you in the face that this is not like a lot of times people are discarded in videos cheaply for entertainment value in a sense that you're not supposed to reflect on it later it's just entertaining um this was like i thought it did it in a way that made you uncomfortable in a way that art should but yeah that was me as a white person no but i would i would also say like what was what, there's a 21 savage that had that crazy video where he hung a kid what the fuck what <laughs> some, some artist I and like i, I could be that. totally wrong if it was not 21 savage but yeah. there is a video in which someone and it's on the range of 21 savage uh, part Looking of the video is super controversial because he wound up hanging a white child who was probably like seven oh, years X, old. X, 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 Tentation. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. My bad. My we bad. We have to clear 21 Savage. Sorry, my <laughs> bad, 21 Savage. I And that's horrible of me to not know, but like I was just trying to think of who it was. Almost as offensive as the next thing that comes up. Yeah. 21 Savage hangs with Jake Paul. Oh, but anyways, okay. Great. Perfect. <laughs> sorry, but my bad. My bad, 21 Savage. My bad. Um, but I think... I did not hear about that. That's an example of like something where I feel like he was trying to make a point, but it, in, in my opinion, it was not done successfully. Mm-hmm. Whereas Donald Glover's video was, I think it was successful in what it needed to do. But to your point, what you were just saying about the person who was tweeting that, I mean, I, I could understand that, but we have that argument about video games and normalization of violence anyways on television and, and all these kinds of things that we see. And you look at like Call of Duty, which is one of the most popular video games. It's a live modern warfare game. I've seen people up in towers as snipers shooting guys crawling on the ground. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, that's a real scenario that's happened. And someone's been there and someone's done that. So, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it in terms of like a critique when we live in a society which violence, especially in America, is already glorified enough. The person is part of that thread. This one of the specific where it got more concrete (coughs) was as an example saying like that. What if that group of singers the church choir that obviously very closely resembled the group that was killed in charleston Mm -hmm. um was uh representative of sandy hook and the point he was making or or she was making was um the video would still have its purpose of crises and chaos and tragedy and things that we avoid in in terms of like just entertainment value but i thought that that would remove a whole entire element to this video if that's what had happened Mm. It would have because basically the video to me has these two biggest things of the more uh, broad scope we talked about when we opened this and then the more internal like black dialogue of kind of bearing the burden of some of the biggest like tragedies and uh, yeah, just horrible atrocities of this country and then also being like put forth on the stage of like entertaining everybody and supposing to be like having a party. And so if you made that group of people that were killed like white people, I thought it would it would kind of remove that element from the video. Yeah, I think that would definitely, yeah, I, mean, I think that would clearly change it. I I mean, I, I think that critique is actually super interesting. And there's this, there's an idea that, um, kind of parallel idea that in film criticism that you actually can't make an anti-war movie, that the act of putting images of war violence on screen, um, like 
it, it makes it impossible for that to be anti-war. And uh, an interesting illustration is there's this world uh, war that a uh, movie that exposes what's wrong with war. Right. You would depict it. Well, and what happens is you see exciting in in this theory, you see exciting images, no, and you you get excited about it no matter what. And now there's really interesting evidence of that, which is that, um, you know, there are these uh, film rolls that people cut um, to get soldiers hype for battle, and there's scenes from like. Apocalypse Now that make it into these yeah. kind of reels. And I think that's related to huh. what this commentator <laughs> is saying that you you can't actually maybe it's it's maybe they're right that you can't actually show these things without um exploiting excitation around it, you know. And I mean I can't I can't speak to it. That's a, that's a that's a I think that's a really interesting critique. It's the other thing to remember is we're like not very far out from when the video was released. So there's a lot of just a lot, a lot of stuff that that's gonna surprise me. It's gonna like maybe I'll one eighty on some elements of this. You mean you when know? you hear different opinions when I hear about different opinions about it, yeah, and and things that from folks who've like kind of you know uh, marinated on it for, for a few days, you know. Yeah, we are only with three days of hindsight right now, or yeah. two days of hindsight right now. Yeah, I'm still seeing SNL videos that you're showing me, so I appreciate that. Man, do you have any closing thoughts before I wrap this up? No, I don't. Well, right, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we could talk We've about this for enough. a long time, but yeah. Okay. Well, whatever you think about the video, please let us know at SuperMTNC on Twitter, at KidEthnic, at what? Pandy Magit. Pandy Magit. Let us know what you think about the video. All right. Next, we're talking to Salim. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, hey, yo, I'm feeling like Jim playing Man in the Moon. Getting lost in the character, carrying the moon. When I'm off and I'm drifting, might get a glimpse of Tony Clifton. Drenched in a bad attitude, adjust the longitude, latitude. Get into a better zone, take a stroll down the avenue. Or hit the trail with my sneaks lace. Deep breathing over deep bass while I try and keep pace. Inhale, exhale while the geese skate. And make ripples on the surface of the lake. Chuck the deuce to anxiety and all of my mistakes. All right, as I mentioned before, we have Salim Rushmawala this week, a.k.a. Kid Ethnic. You've probably seen his work, whether or not you knew you were watching his work. He recently did a video for Young Bull. He also did a video you might have seen last year for G. Yamazawa called North CAC. We actually covered it um, last week on the site. And it was very much, oh, the Young Bull one was very Spike Jones inspired, like the drop video by yes. Farside and a lot of that. So, um, but before either of those things, there were a lot of interesting twists and turns that led you to this. So uh, we're going to cover that as well. But first, I wanted to ask, what got you into hip-hop in the first place? Before we do all the biographical Man, stuff. So I can tell you, like, as a kid, I, I remember getting literal mixtapes, you know, that, that folks would, would hand around. I, I remember a friend finding Jizz's Liquid Swords, <laughs> the actual tape, in the locker room. And we were like what is this like and we played it in the car and it was insane you know it was like <laughs> it was kung fu movies yeah. mixed with hip-hop and that seemed kind of amazing and um was it was new at that time right I, you know it's like a childhood memory so I, I i don't know how long i'd been sitting in that locker room but i assume it wasn't that old right yeah um but then it, in college at unc there was a uh, the thing that got me like most directly interacting with stuff was at unc there was a group called hip-hop nation um, there was also some hip hop nation. I just got to be friends with some of the DJs in there. Um, shout out to DJ soul. And okay. I was wondering was, if there's anybody else that we might know in that. Yeah, group. no, that was actually Sankofa came out of that time period, which, um, led, there's going to be someone, let's see this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Typhoo, which 
l- is like connected to Kazi. Like there's, yeah, there's the like whole these, Chapel Hill movement. Yes, that whole Chapel Hill movement of that time. Um, yeah, that was all going on while I was at UNC. So I actually started making club flyers on the side for like nightclub stuff. I'd, I'd make like 200 bucks a flyer. It was crazy. What? It was crazy. <laughs> at first I was ghost designing for this dude who I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, but that's a thing. You can like, like a dude gets too busy. He just gets some kid who like makes some decent flyers. Yeah. And just goes. So, um, yeah, I was making flyers for people and, and yeah, that's kind of how. So you how didn't hear any of it before college really? Oh like, no. I mean, I definitely heard something. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said yeah. mentioned in the last. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, I, again, it was tapes. It was yeah, pe- people yeah. literally handing me tapes. Okay. Um, but yeah, well, college was when I was more like directly interacting with artists and things like gotcha, that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so for the the story to get people into kind of this journey, we're gonna go on a little bit. Let's start. Let's start on a ship, <laughs> off the coast of Japan. Uh, I believe. Yes. What right. What is going on on this ship, and why are you on this? Okay, ship? so the, so I had been living in Japan. I had, um, you know, I'd had a, a roommate who was a director, and I was like learning bits and pieces from him. And I'd been working as a a, a teacher and working with the government out in Japan, and I get this call from a friend, email maybe, I don't know, That's that element of the story is blurry, but the content <laughs> is true. It's this message that's like, hey, I just got off the ship. They're looking for somebody who speaks, um, who's willing to teach English and maybe Spanish to Japanese passengers and is also game for being in, involved in evening entertainment. It was mad vague. And um, I was like, that's, yeah. And maybe and like, steer the ship. Like, right, who, knows? Yeah, what, who knows? And so I was like, that sounds cool, though. So... Um, I applied. It was a super weird interview. I got asked about healthcare in Japanese. I, I, I got asked to beatbox. Um, <laughs> it was it was all over the place. But I ended up working on a ship. Yeah. Which he can do, everyone. Can beatbox. <laughs> beatbox? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Might have to use that later. So, yeah. So, how did it, where did that go from there? From so, the I ship? lived on a ship. We went around the world twice. And while I was on the ship, I um, was making videos. I had like a... Uh, a make a movie party on the ship where I'd like taught people how to make videos. Basically we had like a, like a basically like a, a mini film fest. And then the next time around <laughs> I got hired to just make videos and do photo on the ship. And that's what got me into doing video work. Wow. So you had, had you done much before that? As far as like, cause you said you're just making videos on the ship. Like did you yeah, start doing I that on there? I hadn't done a lot. I'd done a couple little things. Um, you know, helping out friends and, and just making, I was, it was making just lots of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, recording songs, making videos of that, like making, you know, gifts, like gifts, sorry, the T and an S on the end, um, for people. We're making a different kind of gift today. Like yeah, I know. With, times uh, have Donald Glover video. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I got into it was making it. And then, uh, yeah, then I moved to Durham straight from, straight from that job. Wait, but that, uh, that does skip one thing I wanted to bring up the, yeah. the soda machine video. And yes. just like, I think of those early videos cause you were doing a blog that we've talked about in the past that was, um, from, I don't know, I mean, I guess there's still blogs now, obviously, but very much a blog, like nascent blog era yeah. of, y- we've talked before about the presentation of this style, like you were part of a, uh, almost a community, I think, or yeah. people blogging where it wasn't really about the beauty of the sites, it was, no, like, but you no. had a readership that was uh, pretty into what you were doing, yeah. and it was about the writing, but then I don't, I think that coincides with the period of like the crazy yeah, drink so machine I, video yeah, that you did. I made a, uh, I, I, so Japanese drink machines have a, a lot of drinks in them and i'd yeah, always wanted to this. yeah i'd always wanted to buy every drink in a japanese drink machine and I, on the week before i left japan i bought every drink in a japanese drink machine <laughs> you can probably google around and find this and but um, it wouldn't be like you know normal american where there's like 10 
different sodas no. and the whole thing is full of like just those 10 sodas. This like, is really, like yeah, this is really things. important. You're looking at like, like seven by you're looking at like 40 different sodas, probably. Um, sodas, drinks, like with all kinds of coffees. wacky names. Yeah. Coffees, teas. Um, you know, they have heated ones, cooled ones. Oh, it's, it's yeah. A lot in going the same on the thing. In the same machine. <laughs> in the same machine. So I bought one of every one. I made a song about it, put it online, you know. Um, I'll tell you a really weird story about that video, actually, Please. that brings it back to music. And it's that um, I was briefly emailing with Walshy Fire of Major, Major Laser. Um, back then. No, this is oh, after oh, all okay, this. Sorry, okay, we're, yeah, we're yeah. going to skip around. This is <laughs> yeah, going to yeah. get, this is very nonlinear. So he, the first email that he wrote me, because I had to write him about doing this video for Bee Making Lab, which we'll come to, I guess. Um, he writes me and he's like, Hey, I found out your, about your work through Beat Making Lab, and I want to say that Japanese drink machine video oh, yeah. is crazy. So I just, I mean, I love the fact that Walshy Fire has seen me sing terribly about a Japanese yeah. drink machine. You, you never know who's looking through the back catalog. You never know who's looking through the back catalog. Watch the back catalog, folks. So the, the, the boat story sounds amazing. That job sounds really like all over the place, but then you end up at 17. Well, okay, chronology is so. a little weird. I was at 17 before. Oh, before sorry, the trip. That's sorry. okay. That's okay. It's... Uh, it's Weird job, super weird, and together. there's no real uh, um, narrative thread to it, so it's okay to get it out of order. Yeah, no, I, I was briefly an art assistant at Seventeen Magazine, which um, that's probably the sentence with the least street cred that's ever been said on the Super Empty podcast. I don't know. People people say unexpected things on here, uh, but that's the most unexpected <laughs> thing. <laughs> so yeah, so I was I had moved to New York just after September 11th, actually, and there was like. Everybody was like, basically, why are you moving up here? And I'd always wanted to move to New York. Like, I knew when I was, it was like rite of passage. You know, my family, like my dad's from India. When my dad came over, he lived in New York. When his brother came over, he lived in New York. When his other brother came over, he lived in New York. So I knew I wanted to move up there. I moved up there. And somebody sent me a link to a job at 17 um, as a joke, actually. And I was like... I was working at Sherway Worldwide Shipping. This dates the story. This actually, the, the thing that's actually going to date the story is I had a night shift job at Blockbuster Video. Yes. Um, yes. So in Queens, um, shout out to Blockbuster Video Queens employees. Um, shout I will out never to forget Blockbuster Video for n that missing the opportunity to buy Netflix to when be they had to, it. To be Netflix <laughs> and then to buy Netflix. So yeah, so I ended up as an art assistant there, which was a wacky job. I, I I'll say one interesting thing about it was. Um, yeah, so I, the, the, the gist of it is I went in there freelancing, operating the scanner, which takes exactly as much skill as it sounds like it does. It takes no skill. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> Don't beat yourself up, man. No, 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 I mean, I was uh, maybe above average at it. I don't know. The, they, I worked there for a few days. I was getting way more money operating a scanner than like working at Blockbuster Video and Sherway Worldwide Shipping. And they told me to come in the next day. They told me to come in the next day. And then they didn't say anything about the Monday after. So I just kind of showed up. And I did this for like three weeks. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yo, I, I found the key. Like, this is how I'm going to survive New York. It's like just <laughs> operating the scanner. And then my boss called me into the office and she's like, um, hey, I just saw how much we've been pay paying you to operate the scanner. And I was like, I was like, it's cool. The gig's up, you know? Like, yeah. so I was like, yeah, you know, it's cool. And she was like, do you want a job here? And that was super weird. And it was at much less pay. But it was... Wait, did you take a pay cut when you stopped operating the scanner? I didn't stop. I added other things <laughs> and took a pay cut. Um, <laughs> but I, I will say there is there's something to be said for being in a place where the, the, the art direction there was amazing. And it actually did 
really affect me to be around people who were so exacting. Now, when I say the art directing direction was amazing, I mean, I mean you have amazing art di- art directors, right? Yeah. So, like, the creative staff is, like, you know, um, one of them has gone on to, like, you know, r- was running design for Google for a while. Like, it was just, like, I don't know if he's running it, but he's very high up in there. And, like, th- these folks end up in amazing places. Yeah. And it did have an effect that, like, has stuck with me, which was, like, those folks cared about every detail so much. And you don't think they care about expect. it. That's not what you'd expect. But it's it's at that level where you're at the highest level of any. It doesn't matter what weird path you choose. Someone is at the highest level caring about every single detail. And I hadn't really seen yeah. that that much until I'd been up there. And so, you know, I also I uh, I was like trying to get in to writing i was like writing i i've, I've written quizzes for 17 magazine which is insane because yeah um, because like I, we got the chronology mixed up this is before you had this is before yeah so this then you started writing more then i started writing more yeah, okay. but I, I gotta say that i did fight my way into being the guy who interviewed pharrell for 17 magazine okay um, yeah you did tell me that which which was fun i got to talk to him on the phone i was super nervous and i was terrible at my job but um i was pleased to speak to him yeah that's awesome and then you so where should we go next from this i don't even i don't even know at this point but you ended up doing videos more regularly here in North Carolina you somehow end up here. yeah so I and now you're in hip-hop somehow there you go you well, just like and we're gonna like buzz through it so I, I got to, to North Carolina I was like present day you know I was driving around nightlife was happening then like I shot photos of just every hip-hop artist I could could meet like tune um OZ was out there mm-hmm. de facto um all these guys they were just showing Kasbah up at open mics in they, had Durham at this time. they had Republic shout out to Republic um where Vert and Vogue, oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. Republic was, you know, was um, awesome venue for open mic stuff. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was the I, Justin's over there mouthing. Just, he just goes, I remember that. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, yeah, it was kind of you know where the, where like some of the the scenes just shifted a bunch since then. But uh, yeah, but it, I think I mean in my idea of it because I wasn't here yet. It's, it was like your playground kind of like you just yeah. got involved in a ton of stuff and now Durham has changed so much that. It's like you're like one of the names people think, oh, yeah, like Salim can, you know, can do that video or he'll let's get him to direct this thing. Because back then, I mean, it reminds me definitely of like me doing Thrill City when I was at UNC. It just a period of time of like um, just jumping into whatever interests you. Yeah, and I, sure. that's how I see that period, like you doing the video with Tune. That was um, Hulk Smash. Hulk video, smash which if Jason anyone Hulk. listening, please look up the Hulk Smash video. Classic. Look Durham up video. Professor Tune Hulk Smash. Professor Toon, who's not even called that anymore, is gonna, gone is gonna a couple names. Is gonna attack me for having said that out loud, but it's a it's a really fun video. Yeah. So so what what does that lead to? I mean, how does that get to where you are today as far as I mean you ended, now you have your own uh, film production or creative agency, I don't know what you would call it. What yeah, do you call I what mean, you do? Consulting? That, that's a good question. So no, I mean we make things. Yeah. Like um so we make videos, we you know, we are looking at early stages of, of getting the narrative film stuff. Um, you know, I've done a, it's a weird mix of journalism, music video, yeah, a lot of international hip hop stuff actually. So a lot of filming hip hop artists in other countries, young hip hop artists in other countries through kind of hip hop exchange programs. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a mashup of a lot of things, but I would not be able to do any of that stuff with, um, this kind of gets to like the earlier question you were asking of like how I got involved in hip hop. I don't have like a super clean answer to that. All I have is really like a gratitude to hip hop for like, I don't know why I've been allowed to walk into so many situations and haven't been kicked out of the room. Like (laughs) again and again and again, I like walk into a situation and I do not deserve to be there. And someone from the community 
has welcomed me and let me work. And I, I'm super grateful for that. I've had that feeling so many times. That's what I've loved about this is that like I, I would go into concerts or uh, freestyle things. And just if I had almost without fail, if I had an interest in being involved and like working with other people, collaboration has been a huge thing of this. And for you too, like for sure. Um, anytime you have a good attitude, you come in and you want to make some videos with people or take some photos with people or design a logo for somebody. It's like, yes, you can be involved in any way. And the, all those walls just kind of fall down. It seems like in for North sure. Carolina in particular, I felt that in Raleigh, I felt really embraced too. Um, but, but we also skipped over beat making lab. So I do want to cover beat making lab because you got to basically travel the world, making videos of people making beats in Senegal, in Panama, in Fiji, and uh, that was uh, just a cool thing for our area, too, because we had a team of guys from North Carolina going around with PBS making videos all over the world. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that experience. Yeah, Apple Juice Kid and Pierce Freeland. I'd done their – when I first moved in, one of the things I did was I just made Kickstarter videos for everybody. And I was like, you know, I'll take a percentage at the on the back end. Like I, so nobody loses, right? Like yeah. if, if it doesn't work, it you know, nobody's lost any money and uh, I haven't gained any and everyone's happy. <laughs> and if it did work, and it always worked, which was great. So um, – I did a, a kind of their, their Kickstarter video to get some cash to go to Congo. I had a full-time job, but I just took leave of absence unpaid to go to Congo with them, to Democratic Republic of Congo. Sorry, you got to be specific with that stuff. Um, to film young beat makers, uh, learning more beat making techniques. Um, shout out to Yole Africa, who was an o organization that had already been working there. That was a big part of when Beat Making Lab worked really well was... Because they partnered with um, yeah. organizations who were already existing doing the work on the ground. So it wasn't like Beat Making Lab introduced hip-hop to no, Democratic no, it was, Republic it was of Congo. Like bringing those sounds in touch with... Yeah, exactly. It was, it was you know, artistic exchange and all that. So um, they already... The first day in Democratic Republic of Congo, like, I don't know what it's going to be like. And Pierce is like, hey, can anyone hear freestyle? Anyone want to rap? And literally line out the door of people who just came in and spit. One after the other. So, I mean, the, the culture was there, you know, and, and they had an amazingly huge breakdancing competition, which, which ended up in the music video that we cut out of it. And that, that, that began this pattern that worked with Beat Making Lab. So we didn't know what it was going to turn into. Mm -hmm. Pierce and, and Apple Juice um, were like, hey, we're going to take the videos you made. We're going to try and pitch it as a show and all this stuff. And to be successful as an artist, you have to have like a certain level of, delusion and i don't mean that in a disrespectful way actually mm -hmm. I mean in kind of a respectful way like statistically it's not going to work out for anyone in the arts like yeah. any individual looking at the numbers is is you know they're playing the lottery yeah. but you have to believe you're going to win or else you're not going to be able to, to have a shot right so and this is a, like a constant challenge and balance between surviving paying bills and being a good person yes, to the people exactly. around you and totally. not just being like single-minded 100 percent. and this gets you know similar to other conversations we, we, we've been having about like how folks can appear in the media and you know they they might just be single-minded about their art you know yeah, it's, yeah it's really challenging so i to be honest at that time i don't even know if i talked to beers about that in my, at the time i like kind of filed it in my in my file of things people say that like you know it'd be great if that worked out but statistics say that you know it's probably not um the whole enterprise the whole enterprise yeah. in the vague sense that any artistic enterprise gunning to make money that doesn't have investors is, you know, at long odds. So Pierce writes me on Thanksgiving Day. I remember word for word the subject line of the email he sends. It said... Don't forget it now. No, I'm not going to forget it now. <laughs> it said, 
quit your job, come fly around the world with us, enjoy your turkey. Was the subject line of the email <laughs> he sent that was like, hey, we got Epic some funding, let's email. do this. So yeah, so then we, we were out filming, and at the and so we'd go to these different countries, um, and then at the end, uh, we would make, it was a crazy production schedule, producing like five videos per country, we're there for two weeks at a time, and we were, we were on like a, it was an insane thing to do, you know, all yeah. of us were like just battered by the end, right? But, I mean, I don't want to seem ungrateful, it was also amazing, like we, we would go to countries, we would make little documentary style pieces, and at the end, I'd just get to shoot a music video with kids mm -hmm. and youth and adults from other countries. Yeah, who and be weird and just and make weird drawings and on just it. just make crazy stuff. Yeah. And by the end, we'd evolve to, I mean, we learned so much about, you know, how to operate a thing like this. And you can't do anything without wishing you'd done certain things differently. But by the end, we had evolved to kind of involving people from the community in the creation of the music videos themselves. And that was super fun. It felt more like a weird film exchange camp than anything mm -hmm. else. So, I mean, so many things that you do, like do work out in that, that, uh, that gambit that any artist is making that it's going to work out. It seems in many ways, a lot of stuff has worked out for you jumping into like being invested in an area like Durham, for example, and things have grown and blossomed that you worked on and helped elevate, um, be making lab, obviously something that doesn't like that. You're not still all traveling around it. It has, um, been grounded a little bit. I don't know. How yeah, to, it may but, pop up in another iteration. Yeah. So, but like, yeah. what? Um, I guess how how did that work out for you as far as like processing that as an artist? As one of your experiences where you were working on something very intensely and then it hasn't like become this sure. thing that you guys maybe envisioned it to be one day yet. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. No. no I th that's a that's a really fair question. I I think um, there's so many different approaches to this, right? Like, there's artists who you'll talk to in our own community who are like, this next album's the one. Yeah. And if well, this, you have to say that. That's what this, you said. You have to say that. Yeah, you kind of have to say it. And, but, but at the flip side, some of those dudes have, you know, nine to five jobs. Most. Most. Me, yeah, yeah, most, most. And then some of those dudes, it really is if this album doesn't go, you know. They have to go get a nine to five job. It's Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's dire consequences. You know, so, yeah. And there's nothing on that scale that's right or wrong. It's just, it's going to be aware that people are all across that scale, right? So with, my tactic is often to seed many projects. Right, so if this one grows, it's great. So Mandy, who was on the mic before or after, I'm not sure the chronology before, of the listeners. That's how we're Sorry, listen, oh, before, yeah. there you go. Um, you know, we collaborate on a ton of stuff that may work, that may not, but there's enough things out there. It's going to work to some degree, mm -hmm. you know? Now, is it all going to be North CAC? I mean, <laughs> I'm going to say yes, because I got, no. Yeah. But like, but you don't know. That needs know. to be a plaque in your office, like, this is all going to be North CAC. <laughs> it's all going to be North CAC. Um, you don't know what's going to go, right? So you seed a few different things, and then you have a few different things at different level levels of probability that they're going to go. Does that yeah. make sense? So you're kind of so, hedging your bets a little exactly. bit. So and when something doesn't pop off, it's not a big tragedy. Are you right. trying to... Have right. you experienced it where it was kind of like a pretty soul-crushing thing? Oh, man. Yeah, let's, I, let's go there. Yeah, no. I can <laughs> say, say there have been times when I've made mistakes... Um, that I, f I feel comfortable talking about my mistakes and, and I, I've made some, like there was a video that did not get released because I was slow on releasing it. And then something else happened to the, the track that, that would have been involved. Um, but it was for a song called air and the, 
you were like, I'm going to be really vague about this. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to say the name. I'm just going to say the name of the song. So, <laughs> and it's not, I mean, I'm the one who screwed up, so it doesn't matter, yeah, yeah. right? Like, it doesn't reflect badly on anyone in here. Yeah, it just seemed me. like you were dancing around it. Yeah, I was. the no, literal name of it. That's the guilt. That's how hard it is to talk about stuff where you really screw up artistically with something you're like mad passionate about, right? Like, you, you want to be vague about it, even though that's not doing anyone any favors, right? So, so air. we yeah. air. We literally. I'll tell you something you very rarely see is a rap video shot at sunrise because no one's awake in the hip hop community at sunrise. And so we <laughs> shot a video at sunrise and we literally had a woman who was a fire breather and was willing to both be on camera a fire breather, which is cool, and two, to just be human pyrotechnics making fire pop up in different scenes in the video, right? <laughs> Like, yeah. literally, there's times when you just see fire, right? You don't see the fire breather. And that's not through some other mechanism. It's because there was a woman who was like, yo, I'm so willing to help you out that I will inhale gas Wait, are you saying and that light them on fire. You weren't even necessarily always using her for being a human torch. She just was, you guys just needed a torch. So first of all, she was like, so she was driving the ideas, right? She was an amazing collaborator. Put a ton of work into it. It was, it was amazing. I released like a, 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 a teaser trailer about it and everybody like everybody like everybody in my <laughs> mind like which was like seven people that I knew um no but like like everybody in my little world was like oh my gosh that trailer is bananas like everything's on fire and no one's hurt you know it's amazing and I was like man this is gonna be so dope and then I didn't finish the video like I I I did eventually get to the point where the video was finished, but then the 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 files, mm. the masters had been lost, or it was you know it was a very convoluted thing. But so I just took too long. It wasn't yeah. that this was a, this is like one of those those things. And every artist I've talked to in the area is like struggling with this, right? Like, do you give yourself deadlines and release stuff, no matter what state it's at, and keep you know just keep yep. moving, or do you just hold off with like the, yeah. oh, I'm not going to release a music video for a really long time and then it's going to be This Is America, you know, and everyone's going to freak out again and be like, oh, that dude, like, I forgot about him for like eight minutes and now he's back on the, the top yeah. of everything, you know? Um, we talked about this because it's really hard to um, in to follow self-inflicted deadlines, yeah. self-imposed deadlines. Like, every time it comes up, you are able to say, well, you can rationalize and say, yeah. well, it's not quite where I want it to be, and there's really no harm, no foul, so I'm just going to push it back a little bit, and then you can do that to everything. And, and it's, it's hard to come out with This Is America without all the steps along the way. Totally. And I just I agree like with you generally on this that you just have to seed it with lots of material. Yeah, You just have to like – sorry, I cut you off. Though. No, I mean, you're, you're, that's all exactly on point with what I'm saying. The, I mean, one of the challenges is that – you well okay look i'll tell you where i landed after it was actually that video in a way that made me choose my current path which is that i'm for me personally i just got to finish stuff and put it out you know like 99 percent of what i do i, I just i i just i know it's going to come out at some point mm -hmm. and um now the sacrifice is that i'm not always waiting to get something perfect you know um I mean, the Young Bull video is an example where you could keep tweaking something like that. So the Young Bull video was a, a music video we did yeah. where um, it's it's shot in reverse and there's people who are um, spitting fake reverse lyrics. Like we wrote yeah, new played lyrics. Backwards. Or you played the track backwards so they would wrap it in reverse. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The technique, you know, kind of pioneered by Spike Jones and, and Farside. You could keep tweaking that video forever to get 
things better and better, like more in sync with mm-hmm. the sound. Yeah. And but at some point, you know, you either have to put out you put out a video with what you got and you move on to the next thing. And that's that's an ongoing challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's one where. So you're asking if there's any others where I felt like, oh, this is gonna go, kind of. Or? Well, that was well. I was just asking you about one where you uh, you experienced the more quote-unquote failure side yeah. but on the flip side you experience something just explode with north cac yeah where th- i mean and we like i said earlier there's like a long piece on the site about um you contributed to it giving a lot of quotes about the behind the scenes of the of the uh shoot but if you didn't read that for people who didn't read that um that was an example of you kind of jumping into something with a lot of people and just like seeing what came of it and it was like DIY it wasn't yeah. fully scripted I mean I'm sure a lot of prep work went in but then a yeah. lot of it had to get scrapped so yeah. so like yeah that's an experience where it was the opposite you put a bunch of work and then you didn't expect it to like blow up like it did did you have a sense that it would be because G in the story says he thought it would be good like he thought yeah. it would spread he, decently he, yeah but he didn't think it was gonna get a million views so I can't mention the video without shout out to Mandy Paget, Ned Phillips Dion Lyles for showing up the last minute um, apologies, Dion, if I mispronounced your last name, I should check on that. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll say that video, when we watched it on the monitor, we knew we had something like there, huh. it was, it was a moment. I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, this is going to like totally change the game for everybody involved. Um, but I was like, oh, this, it worked. Like really, I really, the, the prevailing, the, there's so many times when like at the end, when I, when I watch something, there is like, it's like that feeling of, you know, you put the last piece in the Lego set and it actually looks like the picture on the box. You're like, oh my God, it yeah, looks yeah. like the picture on the box. And that picture on the box was in my head and I drew it on paper and then we filmed it together. You did like an you know? impossible Jenga move. Yeah, exactly. And then you put it on top. And, and you're it, like, and the tower didn't fall. Yeah. It's amazing. Like that's, I, there's so many times when at the end, I'm like, the tower didn't fall. And like, wait, but in this one you did, the tower did fall. When you looked and noticed that the cut was wrong, that the light the tower did fall. Sorry, the tower. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. So, so this, but so that that yeah, the de- so there was a, a cut in there where we realized like, oh, we screwed up a take, right? Yeah. But <clears throat> that was on the detail level. We knew we had takes where we were like, this is just it just it was just something really different, you know, and mm-hmm. that felt cool. But no, did I know that it was going to be like millions? Did I know that Jazzy Jeff was going to watch it? No, I did not know that DJ Jazzy Jeff was yeah. going to watch it. Did, did, yeah, did you know that Fonte would be shouting out G? I mean, like that elevated him, of course, yeah. too. I, everyone, everyone involved has had opportunities off that. I do want to go back to an earlier thing about, you know, what you do is this mix of journalism and art, you yeah. know, to, to so to speak. And obviously it's something that we're interested in with Super Empty and that those lines have gotten blurred, especially sure. with the rise of something like, uh, 88 rising where yeah. I, I don't know if they're doing any journalism but they're they're more blurring the lines i guess of like a blog slash content producer slash now right. record label so a lot of these walls are coming down um and and obviously you worked you worked at the new york times i didn't even mention that but you did a project with them and you that project was featured in wired a wired issue that i had to give to you and show you um talking about the future of journalism and just like there's this issue of getting paid for art and you said it's this like playing the lottery to try to make it when you produce art and make get paid for it journalism is in a similar place you worked at right. 17 at a time when i don't know if i don't know how i can my his mind see like think of how good things were going it was back when then. the magazine start industry was starting to crash okay so but like they they knew or they didn't know yet uh people suspected but they didn't know people suspected yeah. so so how do you feel about now about like how to do media and how to get paid for media because this is like a huge passion of yours obviously is a big thing we talk about and yeah 
it's not, I guess, what I would say you professionally do as much as you do more creating creative content for uh, more, I don't want to say commercial, but it's not as journalistic in nature, most yeah, of what you're doing, yeah. no, but it's still I mean, just like right a passion now, of yours. You know, we're doing a mix of like nonprofit work and one okay. company that's like going to like, you know, pay the bills and for sure. And then these other risks, right? So no, this, this is a great question. Um, there's this, uh, I think it was John Cage, the, the piano player who, um, apologies to the piano, the piano player, it actually was, if that's wrong. But um, <laughs> or if you played a different instrument entirely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. apologies, <laughs> apologies in general for the many ways I might be misquoting this. Next one. But basically, let, let's abstract it. There once was a dude who was very famous and good at what he does. And somebody asked him, what's your strategy <laughs> around money? And the dude said, every single day I try to make more money than I spend. Yeah, it's a good quote. And that totally stuck with me, man. So I think about that with like with. Um, whatever projects and the, and and in, in balancing the mix of projects, right? Because now, like, what's interesting is that you mentioned a lot of organizations, well, Idea Rising, and then it, it like spins off into like you can't discuss this kind of thing without mentioning Vice. You yeah, know, Vice is a great um, example. All these kind of organizations that are doing a mix of stuff, and it's very it's it's tricky because you got to figure out where your moral lines are and like what. So, like for example, we've we've talked about I think when I started. Um, I was on a 10-week project in the New York Times. When I started there, I was like apologizing to them. I was like, look, guys, uh, I'm super happy you chose me, but I have been doing some commercial work. Like, I'm not a pure journalist. And they were like, yeah, we know. We are. We know everything about you. We're the New York Times, basically, <laughs> was what <laughs> they told what me. This we do. They like totally, and they totally knew everything about me. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, but I like, did this weird. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. So they, <laughs> I had to then write the past three years and this is why I love the New York Times you know is like they made me write every company that I'd worked at every company that had given me money in the past three years and those were my disclosures so as long as I didn't work on anything directly that was like like a conflict of interest with those things only within the purview of what you were going to be working on or for larger scope at um, the New York Times like you just right now right now in the purview of what I was working on and it, okay. it's different for full-time reporters it's different there's it's very different for photographers like people are treated in really different ways yeah um but that's where I think the the ethics can still find some ground is in transparency around where your money's coming from and who you're connected to, right? So a lot of it's, I think, around disclosure. There's this weird thing where there's definitely people who we think of as hip-hop journalists right now who have done some... labels. Well, have done some side... I, I mean, that's possible. No, when I'm... You know, I mean... Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, yeah. I was gonna say. So the uh, no, but like the the you know even for more traditional organizations. I mean the the, the New Yorkers right, music be is a little different. Strict, yeah, New Yorkers gonna be very strict about this kind of stuff. The Times is gonna be very strict about this kind of stuff. But there's other people writing in other places where their income is, you know, maybe they wrote some copy for a catalog or you know like yeah. they're doing other things. So, and some of those people do occasionally get an article into these these like big institutional journalism. Yeah. And sometimes it could look a lot like something that they wrote somewhere else that was sponsored content. Yes. Where it was paid for, and then they can kind of write a story for, I don't know, Business Week that's... Well, Business Week would be the one that was the sponsored content. But then they might write about that in time, like it was a similar topic right. or tie that in. And Yeah. So what's the... And, and there's actually interesting lines around, like, for example, you can write for an airline magazine, and that's still journalism. Actually, a lot huh. of great stuff gets written in airline yeah, yeah. magazines. It's one of the few places where people can still are like forced to read a paper for like seven minutes. Though that's starting to disappear. Are those bankrolled just by the airlines? They're just bankrolled. And, and by like, airlines. is that gonna last? Like, what? It's See, all these actually places, a great question. Yeah, you're asking someone bankrolling yeah. media. I'm like so fascinated by 
uh, if it's working out for them financially, or if not, like how long they're going to hang on to it, like what the value is for them. Sure. Okay, I can speak specifically to Airline Magazine since you just please, asked. Please. There was just uh, one just merged their first class magazine with their like standard magazine. So they, like the people in first class are <laughs> literally reading different airline. They're literally reading a better airline. Wait, but now magazine they have to read the commoner. But now they've like merged. But maybe that uplifts the common <laughs> thing. I don't know. So the the Damn. question of yeah, I know there's levels I and didn't classes know there was first to class I know, man. It's t- and there's some like mega first class that probably gets like a handwritten note. Like what from, the pilots are reading. Yeah, no, it's, the, it's there's there's something up there. Um, but so you're asking a very good question, which is like, what's the way forward? And yeah, like I need to know because we're trying to I know this thing called and Super <laughs> Empty. I'm super confident <laughs> that like someone could sit here and tell you a really a really like direct answer. And I just don't believe that guy. So <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. I, I can tell you the strategies that I'm using. I think you would say, it sounds yeah. like from this interview, you would say set up like 10 different media publications. Ha! And maybe one of them will just be successful, no, surprisingly. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm, I'm actually like, I'm cool with people putting all their eggs in one basket as, you know, figure out some way to live, support your family, et cetera. Um, if you ever want to learn a lot about business, have a kid. And it mm. forces you to, it forced me to, I'm, I'm not saying I know a lot about business. Sorry. If you want to learn more than you currently know, and you're a person who, like me, didn't know anything about business a few years ago, have a kid. It forces you to, like, figure stuff out if you want to keep supporting your kid, right? I feel like it was in the J. Cole interview that just came out, but maybe it was some other celebrity was talking about hitting a whole different level. Maybe it was Dave Chappelle. Does he have a kid? He does have kids. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyways, it was just in the media, just one of these rappers we talk about on this show being like, I had a kid and it completely changed my um, productivity. <laughs> well, you're either going to go for it or you're going to be like, nah, I'm going to like get a job. Yeah. And that's okay. That's totally yeah. cool. You know, actually, you know, a lot of dope art is made by people who work full-time jobs and just like, I was going to say, cracks, Tab One know? comes to mind as a guy who just oh, yeah. put out one of our favorite albums of the year so far. And I, I think it's job. super like, I like when you actually find out what everyone's doing, you find out that some of the people creating the best work of all time, historically looking back, you know, like the, the person who revolutionized like anime and manga in Japan was a doctor who started drawing manga, you know, like goat status. Yeah. You know, like that's I mean, it's kind of crazy because you're like, wait, I don't want my doctor to be up all night drawing manga. But like it's <laughs> no, the, those lines are. The, it's it's that stuff is like is, is happening. Like lots of people that well, you it's one of the, the advice that I give people is to ask people, other people where their money comes from really directly. Um, they may not tell you that's totally cool too. Cause it's a weird question, <laughs> but, um, they might you be start offended. learning. Yeah. Word, you, word. you start, you really start learning about it, you know, and my money comes uh, Yeah. I'll answer yeah, that. You it, were it, embroiled in a little Twitter thing a year ago. Who pays Salim? What? <laughs> it like, um, it comes from a, a few different sources that I try to be super transparent about, you know, like you can look on my website and see who's, who's paying me, you know? Um, but sometimes it'll come 10 weeks straight from a journalism organization. Or, you know, I was just in New Orleans at the, this producer's, it was this yeah. producer's camp where for three days you just get free training and how to be a producer and they put you up in a hotel and all, it was crazy. And we were learning. You applied for that and got it or you were invited just straight up? Um, I met somebody who was like um, talking about it and I was like, oh man, I'd love to apply for that, but I'm not a producer. He was, and basically the conversation circling around it was like, oh, do you make videos? Like, do you get money and then a video happens? And I was like, yeah, that happens. And like, 
he was like, like congratulations, you're, you're a producer, you know? <laughs> so um, that, which, which gets to something that, and I'm, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but That's I good. think it relates to all this. And it's the, the biggest thing that shifted for me was switching from thinking about becoming something to just focusing on doing. You know, and I'm not saying that's the answer for other people because right. I've heard other people be like, oh, I knew I wanted to be like a, a top 10 singer. Like I knew I wanted I, like you hear people be like, I saw myself on that Grammy stage or I saw myself receiving the, the Emmy. I'm pretty know? sure it's in that Donald Glover piece in The New Yorker that being said, like, yeah. I, I saw this and like I, I was Jesus. I, that's from awesome. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, do your thing. But like for me, um. Yeah, it, I just focused really on doing things, and I, I focus kind of like that day to day. Now, the the I don't literally think every day. I don't wake up and think, um, you know, how am I going to make enough money? How am I going to make more money than I spent today? Mm-hmm. But in a, in a slightly longer for me, it's like the month that I really think about. Yeah, you know. Um, but I also got to say, like the the hip hop community in the triangle has in so many ways been a part of my success. You know, the the New York Times videos are soundtracked by the real law. Right, right. He made the beats, and I met him through doing, I think, possibly his first music video. I don't know. Like it was, it was definitely early stage for him. Um, and you know, there's like there's just a lot of like uh, trades and alliances that that help people make money in other ways if they're not making it straight up off of hip hop. Right. And I feel like we we you can't really discuss music videos in Syria without having an honest discussion about. Um, you know, budgets and like, I know y'all have talked about this on the show before. Um, I know Mandy was like, you know, someone might only come with $800. I was like, Mandy, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I thought you were going to say 50. And it's like no disrespect to somebody who comes from, I don't, I, and I always, I actually have straight up told artists several times and Mandy's heard me say this to people like, Hey, where are you at? And what's your funding? And cool. Like, I actually don't want you to spend this money on the video. Like, oh, let's find some, like, really small, reasonable amount for you, and I'll sh- come out, I'll shoot a freestyle. But, like, yeah. you know, like, I don't... Mandy has... I just I just don't... Like, there's no sense in me... I love the scene, and I, I want... I'm not saying that I'm, like... It, I don't want to speak too much of it. I don't want it to be saintly or anything ridiculous like that. But from a selfish standpoint, if the scene in Durham doesn't survive, I will get bored out of my mind. Mm. So I need the scene, or I'm going to leave. And yeah. I'm not like, you know, I'm not really going to leave anytime soon. Who knows? I mean, You're I'm going to pitch work out. You're like, if know. the hip hop scene leaves, I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's kind of like that. So it's from a selfish standpoint, I need people here to be financially vi- as viable as they can be. You know, so I don't need to take I'm not I'm not trying to take money from the person who's like, I'm putting everything to this video and I need it to work. I'll actually turn that yeah, project yeah, yeah. down because I want that guy to I want what I really want. I told I was talking to, I think I was talking to law the other day about this is like. The dream scenario is I do something that helps someone who someday makes it and then they come back and hire. You know, that would be really yeah, dope. Yeah. You know, like, um, but, you know, we've been on, we've been on PAs and Mandy, who I, I feel compelled to say, uh, often gets listed as assistant director on things and I'm going to diverge into a very important thing as hip hop videos get larger. Yeah. Assistant director is not the assistant to the director. Like you can be a $100,000 a year assistant director what that means is you're keeping things on schedule on set like you're doing all kinds of amazing things on set so mandy's a genius i just want to throw that out there she's having a coughing fit is why she's she's got some comment i don't know if we did it for holland for his show which isn't out yet but our producer made a show she was doing that for the show as well um i don't know if mandy's cough clears up she'll drop some kind of gem over here um 
No, I was just going to say, I feel like we talk, we talk about this all the time, but like Durham, people do it for the culture. And I think Celine, you're someone who does do that. That's why we work together. That's why I enjoy working with you and why we're all friends, but not to, not to give you too much praise here. But I feel like most people don't say that. Like most people are just out to get money and do that, do that stuff. And you are someone who is like, no, I want you to be sensible with your money because you are that person like you're like i want to do it for the culture and keep things thriving that's all for the uh normal itunes upload of the podcast this week we did go really long with salim over an hour actually so uh we're gonna put the extended version up on soundcloud for the real fans for the real fans of the super empty show uh you can find that online at uh soundcloud.com slash super empty music uh also need to mention before we exit the show this week incredible moment on twitter these things are good sometimes like this social network stuff is okay when you see moments like fonte reach out with a algebra problem uh i would assume for his son he says it's a sixth grade algebra problem and says i'm too old for this how how does this how do i do this problem and j cole responds with a little like piece of paper he's worked out the whole equation and just answers it for him beautiful it was incredible like this is this is what we're about in north carolina it's not about the competition It's not about the competition. It's not about the beef. It's about just getting that homework done. Just getting that those, those algebra problems turned in. Count them up. <laughs> Count it up. That was an incredible tweet by you, by the way. Uh, that's our show this week. Um, follow us on Twitter, if you don't already, at SuperMTNC. Same thing on Instagram. And please, I've been loving having reviews come in. It's been awesome. We now have like over 20 ratings, all five-star. Please don't ruin that. We're on a great streak right now. And uh, we're actually getting some, some really nice reviews on the iTunes store as well. So... Keep that up. Tell a friend. We're going to keep on having great guests every week from NC Hip Hop. Peace. Starships, bitch, I never get caught up in all the hardships. Gotta go to air from the arches. Have a guy to jack my pivot.